G'day, I'm Rowan Mackey, and I'm joined by my dad, clinical psychologist Chris Mackey, and this is Psych Spiels and Silver Linings. G'day, Dad. How are you going today? Good, thanks, Rowan, and uh, we're heading very close to Christmas, aren't we? Absolutely. It's the last podcast that we'll be doing for the year, so we thought we would do one that's a slightly more Christmassy topic. It may not necessarily be the most joyful topic in some ways, but certainly something that may be pertinent to many people out there who are coming up to Christmas and may not necessarily be looking forward to it as an overly positive time of the year. So we've called today's episode Christmas, a season of suffering for some. So what are we going to be talking about today, Dad? Okay, now this is something that therapists are very familiar with because we find at this time of year, a number of our clients go through a much more difficult period at this time of year to many other times of the year because it's a reminder of painful childhood experience. And we're particularly talking about people who've experienced emotional abuse and neglect in childhood. And that's one of the things that comes up when people have had recurrent depressions in their adult life or at times that they might find that they act in somewhat erratic ways in relationships around intimacy. There are a number of circumstances where people tend to have more difficulty in their relationships in adult life if they've experienced emotional abuse and neglect in childhood or certainly other forms of abuse such as sexual abuse or physical abuse within their families. Christmas is a time when we're focused on families, often with an ideal of it should be all happy families and a happy life and a joyful time. As you mentioned, that you know, often we think of it as being joyful but maybe not so joyful for some. It tends to bring back strong, painful memories for people who've experienced those negative childhood experiences. Well, I can imagine that it would if you were someone in those circumstances because in many ways Christmas is a time of heightened emotion anyway. Like even if it's positive emotion, it's a time when you can be you know, a little bit more relaxed, a little bit more joyful. Like we use these terms, merry, joyful, to explain the Christmas time of year. But of course that's not going to be the case for some. And the other thing about that, you touched on a little bit in terms of how there's so much maybe noise, for lack of a better term, about the way that Christmas is for, you know, quote-unquote most un- other people. Like I find it interesting, for example, in Australia, we've idealised Christmas to such a degree where we talk about it in terms of snow and white Christmas, all this sort of stuff. Like, that's never going to happen in Australia. But we've almost got this idealised version of Christmas, so much so that we can look at, say, a Northern Hemisphere Christmas and even relate to aspects of that. So I can't imagine if if someone was in that situation, that it wouldn't necessarily be the most joyful, merry and and positive time of the year at all. Yes, and all the music is up, like the Christmas carols and all the rest of it. And so you can imagine that if people are going through a private pain, and that includes tendencies to feel more depressed, even we'll talk about it more later, how people can be somewhat self-critical, self-judging, even self-harming more so when they think of or recall or re-experience in some ways childhood memories or the feelings that go with that. It's very challenging because those are often very private internal experiences. People have had that kind of history and it's often invisible 
to other people. So this contrast between people struggling inside themselves and all these idealised images, as you say, of how things look on the surface, it can lead people to feel even more isolated, alienated, and that's part of the reason why we're having this podcast, especially directed to those people who relate to this kind of issue. So they realise they're not alone. It's understandable that people will experience a particular type of pain if they're reminded of those kind of experiences. And I'm talking about significant emotional abuse and neglect, not just sort of, you know, we can have, we could call it empathic failures or misunderstandings or a degree of family conflict. I'm talking about times where it's more entrenched and people feel almost as though they don't belong in their families or consistently feel mistreated or invalidated in their family setting. Well, the other aspect of it is it's one of the kind of main times in the year in some ways when people ask quite specific questions about how you are and, you know, what you're doing over Christmas and that sort of thing. So imagine, there, yeah, there'd be almost many layers to, to deal with Christmas being difficult. But I imagine they're not necessarily the only people who might have some difficulty around Christmas time. So maybe what are some other situations when people would really have difficulty at, at Christmas time? Well, I think what many people could relate to, because at some stage of adult life, people are going to experience this, that lost loved ones, lost loved ones. Parents may have died over the past year. Uh, There might be other recent losses. It's a time when we think of connecting with family. If we have lost a family member in recent times, say a close family member or a close friend that we would normally spend time with at that time of year and connect with, then that can add to people's pain of grief, which we could just say is a normal aspect of grieving. People will tend to experience somewhat more pain around anniversaries, Christmas, other times when people would get together. So that's an aspect that would be relevant. And then, of course, there's the aspect of Christmas, which is a challenge for many people. It's a busy time when people are hosting family members. Uh, People might be having financial difficulty at that time because there can be more spending associated with Christmas as well. So there are those, dare I say, more common reasons where many might experience some level of of pain at Christmas, hopefully joy amongst it as well. But uh, yes, we're going to particularly focus in what we're talking about today on when people have had those more challenging childhood experiences. And it strikes me that there's potentially a couple of aspects to that. There's maybe someone who obviously you know, recognises Christmas to be a particular time of the year where we've got a particular focus and emphasis on, for example, spending time with their families. And there's going to be some people who may not necessarily have contact with their families anymore, but still the memory of, of difficulties that they have had will come up just because it naturally comes up a little bit more at this time of year. And then there's also likely to be people who may still be around their families, who are, who are maybe some of the, the source of their difficulty around Christmas. So I wonder if you could speak to maybe what some of the associated challenges are with maybe either of those things in terms of people who maybe have memories that come up around Christmas that are quite unpleasant to deal with. And then there might be other situations where people really do have to deal with maybe family members and situations that still causing them difficulty. Okay, yes. Well, look, that's actually a good way of putting it, those two different aspects or layers. And that's, I might even start with the second one first, current family interactions. Now, if someone has been raised in a very invalidating, emotionally abusive environment, 
Their parents might have called them names often that were dismissive. The parents might have been not at all attuned to their needs or seeming somewhat rejecting or even made outright comments as though they didn't want to have them as children. I'll just give one aside. One fellow I know, he describes a time when in his childhood his family and another family went to the beach Coming home, they pile into a couple of cars, you know, mixing up who's in each car, but all hopping in the car and driving home, and they forgot him. They just left him at the beach. No one's looking around to see if he's there. Now, at one level, we could think, well, something like that could happen. You wonder if maybe the father thought the mother had checked on the son or the other way around. But when you put it in the context of many other things that happened, it was utterly symbolic of that person feeling somewhat rejected in childhood or, or not attended to. And there would have been a lot of rejecting behaviours, if you like, that the person felt when they were young, but it continued into adult life. And also with that person, as happens in a number of families, also with a number of siblings. And so if the person feels like a black sheep in the family or somewhat unloved or on the outer, it's often just not the parents that they feel that interaction with, it might be with a number, if not all of their siblings as well. And so that's when it gets very tricky because people need to manage those kind of interactions now. And one of the things I find in that situation is when it's an ongoing kind of situation of invalidation or the person feels mistreated or they just feel that they don't belong and they've got reason somewhat to feel that way, then it's often important for the person to set limits on that contact. And I'll come back to that. But also there can be situations where, in addition to that, people are reminded of childhood experiences and the feelings come up. The feelings actually can be triggered. They can be quite spontaneous, almost coming out of the blue. If the person felt, again, invalidated, others weren't attuned to them, as though others were ignoring them, having a go at them, something like that. It might be repeatedly other family members get together, but for years they didn't inform them of the time they had gatherings, so they might have felt excluded. And when they were there, they felt from other people's not just verbal behaviour, what they said to them directly could be dismissive. That's the kind of situation where people have got a lot of past memories as well that might come up. And there may be situations also, well, a classic example is where someone recently lost a parent. And so maybe both their parents have died or they haven't had much contact with family members for even years but it's a reminder of their painful experience. Apart from what's happening now, a reminder of their painful experience in childhood, and that can be enough to evoke those kind of feelings. And around Christmas time is a common time when people remember family experiences, but when it's been particularly invalidating, abusive, painful kind of experiences, there is a triggering element to it because there can be like a traumatic aspect to that, and especially if people did also experience sexual abuse or physical abuse in the context of this emotional abuse or neglect, then again, there could be trauma memories that are evoked from that as well. Well, both those situations would, oh, I imagine, just be so difficult to deal with at that time of year. And I suppose in some ways, like it reminds me of that, oh, I believe it was a Leo Tolstoy line where he said, all happy families are alike, but every unhappy family is unhappy in their own individual way, or I'm paraphrasing, or something like that. And so it strikes me that 
in some ways, like not only could it be difficult, but it would be so isolating as well to well, potentially think that you're the only person that you may know who, who understands maybe the depth of that situation. But I suppose what can someone do in that situation? Like it's probably going to be slightly different for maybe everyone who is kind of yeah, experiencing these difficulties. They're going to experience them in their own particular way. But I wonder if you've got some, I suppose, say broad things that people could do that would maybe help in that situation. Okay, look, I might even refer to some of that things that people can do in the context of a few stories of clients I've seen and how things have gone and what's made a difference. And hopefully this helps get across a little bit more about how much impact it can have when people have had childhood emotional abuse or trauma, sexual abuse, physical abuse, especially if there's also emotional abuse and neglect. And if that continues for a long period of time, some of the impact it can have for people, leave them with feelings of self-blame or shame that can be evoked also at this time. I'll tell a few stories that relate to that. But I'll also mention a background thing first, and it's to do with childhood perception of the world up until the age of six years old, to some extent about eight years old, children are egocentric, meaning they see the world as revolving around them. That's the development of the childhood brain and the childhood mind. Our horizons are more narrow, and that means that the world naturally revolves around the child. Now, this means if bad things happen in a child's life, including mistreatment in their family or abuse within their family, a child will tend to think they're responsible for that. And also, with emotional abuse, often children can grow up getting messages about being bad or wrong or too noisy or too disruptive or otherwise not acting the way that they should. And so that can reinforce that sense of not measuring up or shame. But I'll give a few examples. One was of a fellow who was a very competent fellow He was in his early 50s, he'd been an effective manager and he'd learnt to look to contain his contact with his parents but he still had some contact with his parents, especially around Christmas. He didn't call his parents mum or dad. He used the Christian name which showed a distance that was there but in particular his mother was very emotionally abusive and I would use the term narcissistic. Now this is often where this pattern comes up where one or more parents are narcissistic, meaning that they're very much focused on their own needs and interests. So if they have an infant, it's very hard to put another person first, even a baby, even a vulnerable infant. And so that's where uh, the parent might not be so attuned to the child's needs. And presumably, even when they're young, if they were suffering in some way, they're hungry, they're tired, maybe if they were sick or needed attending to in certain ways, there might not be the kind of emotional response. Or there'd be other times I'd know where the only time that a parent seemed attentive was when the infant was sick and then that person can grow to be an adult who has an uncommon experience of illness and gravitate towards illness when they're vulnerable, which like unconsciously, they, they come to later realise, ah, oh, that was the only time you know, as a child when I got love, when I was sick. So I can evoke that. 
But anyway, I'll get back to this example of this fellow competent manager had limited some contact with his parents. Actually, we worked through certain trauma memories this person had. They went very well. They overcame their depression fully. They've been severely depressed. There were trauma memories related to childhood experience, some other experiences as well. They'd gone great guns, going well for months. Then they thought, hey, wait a minute. I'm strong enough to visit my parents just before Christmas. I should. I'll visit for a few hours. This fellow whose wife used to encourage him to have no contact with his parents at all because even after a brief phone call, it seemed to go downhill in the past. But he felt strong enough that he could visit them, visits them for a few hours. Within a few days, he was in a psychiatric hospital. He was admitted for weeks. He was off work for months after having made enormous progress, that shows how powerful these kind of reactions and interactions can be. Deep down, it evoked, triggered, if you like, reminders of painful experience, feeling so invalidated by a parent. And often what happens in this situation is one parent might be actively abusive, invalidating, and the other parent might be, dare I say, quite weak in addressing that and going along with the with the other parent. So the person feels that neither parent is attuned to them, particularly interested in them, protective towards them. And it might be tricky too because at times a person does feel the odd one out because the parents might have a different relationship with other family members and seem more attentive. But underneath it all, that can lead the person further to think, is it me? It's just something wrong with me. And it tends to also evoke these self-critical feelings. And sometimes that overlaps with self-harm. So in a way, what's being triggered is these underlying survival mechanisms, which we might refer to as fight and flight. People understand that. Also freeze mechanisms. So people in their family situation, some conflict comes up and they're just immobilised. They don't know what to say or do, but they're feeling helpless and dreadful inside. Or also submit responses. These are survival responses that an animal might well, play possum and play dead, so to speak. They're more likely to survive if a predator's around if they play dead. But also another, like a grim, if you like, evolutionary mechanism is if a rabbit's about to be eaten by a tiger, it might just anaesthetise itself, just be helpless and submit. And those submit responses can also be triggered. If people have family contact, if as a child it was dangerous to react with fight or flight... And that's one thing, children in these situations tend to try and make themselves invisible if they've attracted negative attention from their parents or one parent is particularly violent or abusive, they might try and stay out of the way and make themselves invisible. And that goes with an adult triggered feeling of shame. Shame goes along with the notion of wanting to be invisible. So people sometimes can experience what seems like profound levels of shame when it's not their fault. You hear of people's background experiences and it kind of you understand where people might have had this self-doubt, this distress or recurrent depression or find it hard to learn to trust other people, that kind of experience. And that can go with these evoked experiences of shame too. But that's one example where someone went really downhill from the briefest contact. I'll give some other examples later. Well, yeah, I'm interested to hear some more examples, but I suppose what comes to my mind there is 
when you mentioned, say, fight, flight, freeze, submit, well, we almost have this kind of cliche Christmas about how, you know, families come together and, you know, fight and all this sort of stuff. And, like, although there is this kind of idealised version of Christmas that, you know, we all buy into in some way, there is also maybe this other level where, you know, there's a bit of a recognition that, you know, not every family can get on all the time. And I find it interesting that when you almost put things in those terms, in terms of these are biological responses, even shame, like if it's about, say, feeling invisible and making yourself a smaller target, well, that completely recontextualizes it from you're not participating in the kind of ambiguous cultural tradition of, of Christmas in the same way that everyone else is. So I just find that a really fascinating almost context to put some of these things in. Yes, it makes so much sense when you understand that side of things. And when people have experienced what we refer to as complex trauma, it basically means repeated childhood trauma. Often it might include sexual and physical abuse, repeated, but it also can include emotional abuse and neglect, but of a very significant degree. And as I say, often this is with you know, one or more narcissistic parents. I mean, quite inattentive parents putting their needs first. We're not talking, as I say, about the empathic failures that might result, where sometimes parents aren't so attuned. Or their means of discipline might be a bit rigid, yet still the parents might be loving parents in other ways. There are all sorts of ways where things can get a bit out of kilter in a normal family. And yes, in a normal family and in normal relationships, uh, most of us, I would say all of us, could be prone at times to have something like a fight or flight or freeze reaction. Not so often submit. Well, it can be that actually. If people are capitulating a lot, that can be related to something else which people call pleasing and appeasing. People can go a bit far that way because they're feeling insecure in themselves of the love of others. And I will mention there's actually one other survival mode mechanism, a core one, which is attach. So, say, a baby koala's in a forest, there's maybe smoke and flames nearby, the baby will tend to look out for the mum or a parent in that kind of situation. So there's also that attach. And so that's where sometimes people can get caught up between attach responses like they feel clingy or needy or they think a relationship's under threat and so they might text someone 10 times in a day the other person feels cramped or the other person's too clingy or needy and the person might then go from attach response to a fight response or maybe to a flee response and so you get these different reactions coming up together but the more that people have experienced very significant repeated abuse or trauma the more that people are going to have these kind of reactions, fight, flight, freeze, submit, attach, they're more going to be triggered suddenly and sometimes in a way that the person feels mystified and out of control themselves where most of us would experience those reactions somewhat more mildly, we'll recover from them fairly quickly, we might apologise if we overreacted to what we saw as a slight or a comment or... We thought someone was having a dig at us or otherwise thought someone wasn't so attuned or they were more neglectful or that kind of thing. These are like normal emotions that we might have with some you know, misattunement or misunderstanding or a bit of thoughtlessness that might be there. And, and hopefully we give others a break for that as well. Christmas can be a time for forgiving, if you like, the milder kind of transgressions that way. But here we're generally talking about something much more entrenched and severe and significant where adults who've experienced these things in childhood might 
again, find they might be diagnosed with having a borderline personality disorder or people might refer to it as complex trauma or we've talked in the past about dissociative disorders. In those kind of situations, these often childhood abuse or neglect. Absolutely, and yeah, certainly without wanting to trivialise it, I, like I suppose it, it maybe speaks to the degree to which that can be present with someone who's had you know these more complex difficulties when you know it's a bit of a cultural meme in some ways of you know sort of almost having these little conflicts here and there around this time of year it shows that it's a, a much more heightened time of the year and it would be an extra thing again if you're, you're dealing with those extra difficulties but wonder maybe if you have another one of those stories dad that can give us a little bit more context as to what someone might be going through around christmas time Yes, I mentioned, but just as an aside, you, you said something there. Well, uh, just recently this time of year, I saw a report that I think it's December the 11th is the number one date where people tend to separate. Now, that's kind of interesting as well. People have actually calculated this or maybe the number one date for divorce. I presume it's separation, but there does tend to be heightened conflict this time of year in a kind of more normal way. But here's another situation which is dare I say, a less common situation, a more severe situation, it does involve the fellow I mentioned where you know, parents left him behind when they drove back from the beach. Now, this fellow would tend to have a very significant level of depression, well, severe depression, around Christmas each time, around Christmas each year, and in the lead-up thinking, will I go to a family function or not? If I go there, I'll feel I don't belong, I'll feel invalidated, I think there might be an interaction along these lines with a parent and perhaps if I sat next to this family member, that might go okay or this other family member, but these siblings that tend not to go so well. But the person understandably felt that they didn't belong so much in their family and, and didn't feel the goodwill, if you like, when they were with their family. And this was all understandable given the past. Made a decision a couple of years ago, I will have no further family contact at Christmas. Might have some contact with a couple of siblings, might have some phone contact with them and got on quite well with them, but not in the whole family context. And basically deciding that unless a parent was on their deathbed, would not visit. And actually, there was a recent situation where it was almost towards that kind of situation. A parent was severely ill and that person felt strong enough in themselves to make a brief visit and anticipating that might be the last time he ever sees that parent alive and has got to a stage of not beating himself up with any kind of guilt or shame around that, recognising that is the sensible thing to do. The important thing for him is to have health in his family. Many people who've been in this situation healthily decide their quest is to turn things around in a generation. They'll focus on looking to have positive relationships with their partner and their children, and that commonly happens. By the way, that's an uplifting part of this story. That person has done that in many ways as well very positive relationships with, with his wife and, in general, positive relationships with his children and grandchildren. I think that's where people have made... And that's an example of someone making a real success of that quest. I'll turn it around in a generation, helped by the fact of virtually no contact with parents at all, 
Because even now, there's always a little sting or a twist in the tail of a contact with a parent by phone. There's always an expectation there or he's meant to have fallen short in some way. Quite wisely, he decided to have no contact at all, basically. I've even heard of a situation with someone that I know quite well where they were in a very similar situation and said, look, unless you know this person's not basically going to get better, I don't want any contact with you. And... Basically what happened is is the person involved, not my friend, but the uh, person they were speaking to, basically used that against him in some ways and almost fabricated this idea that, uh, that, that someone was, you know, really close to the end and, and almost leveraged that to then get back in contact with them. So I suppose it just speaks to maybe the complication of some of these things and I suppose it's also worth recognising that, yeah, like you can almost, you know, do as much as you can and even that's you know not enough in a situation so there is no shame like if we go back to that uh idea of shame like there is no shame in almost recognizing that it is time to maybe cut all contact there especially around christmas and maybe if you have any more of those stories dad Okay, well, here's one where it's, say, a less severe situation, similar kind of pattern. It would have been someone, an adult I saw, a client who would have been diagnosed as having a borderline personality disorder in the past, which, look, in many ways, that, that's a dreadful pejorative-sounding diagnosis. Basically, it means that someone is likely to be somewhat unstable in their emotions, that their relationships might have a greater level of conflict than usual, the person might have more ambivalence in relationships, at times they might feel more wary or distrustful of others than might seem warranted, people are more prone to dissociative symptoms. There are a number of things that go with that borderline pattern, but to some extent it tends to mean some difficulty or an extra difficulty managing emotions, some level of difficulty with relationships, with sense of identity. And we can understand if someone's had this background, they're going to be more prone to that kind of experience. Because borderline personality disorder, when people are diagnosed that, a couple of common factors are that the person does have difficulty dealing with painful emotions, combined with the experience of an invalidating environment. Now, if you like, the most invalidating environment will be an abusive and neglectful childhood environment where you know, a child naturally has some kind of innate anticipation, if not expectation, of being nurtured and protected and all the rest of it, and sadly at times that doesn't happen. And again, if people's past is somewhat invisible and some of their experiences that way are invisible, we just go on their behaviour on the surface that can include these triggered reactions of fight, flight, freeze, submit, attach, that kind of thing. The person's behaviour can seem more nutty if you don't see it in the context of this past experience. But here's a situation where the person had maybe a slightly less complex circumstance with their family than the earlier ones and this person was dreading Christmas coming up. It was maybe a few weeks before Christmas. They said how they had these images in their mind about family conflict, people arguing at the Christmas dinner table and feeling alienated from some people or maybe potentially attacked by others. Now, this was a situation where we thought, well, here's a distressing image that you have. It might even be somewhat exaggerated distress, possibly. The person reflecting on it, they wanted to have a different reaction to this situation and they did want to have some further contact with their family. They wanted to feel that they belonged in their family if that was possible. And we actually used 
a fairly simple technique to deal with distressing images and see how it went. We've talked about it before, bilateral stimulation. We actually have a video on our website about how to use bilateral stimulation, which we sometimes even use for pain, but it also could be distressing situations, including anticipating a distressing situation. And that was one of these, anticipating seeing family members at Christmas, thinking there'd be all sorts of conflict, feeling on the outer. So basically bilateral stimulation, you can put in these headphones, it's got clicks, one ear then the other you put it on for about a minute when you have an image in mind then you notice what you feel afterwards so i invited this client to imagine going and visiting with a family being at the dinner table there we had the earphones in put on the clicks the bilateral stimulation click 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 and then after a minute or so stopped it asked the person to report what they're experiencing then after another maybe half a minute minute of that then asking what they're experiencing again now what happened fairly quickly is the person paused and chuckled and that was a very different experience from the person being distressed when they had the image of being around the uh, dinner table but basically what happened is the person said well how if you like, ridiculous it was, what happened with their family interactions, there was, there was something about that they could take distance from and see it as being like a bit wacky but a bit funny in some ways. But they thought, hey, wait a minute, I can look to sit next to this person and make sure I'm not sitting next to them. And having maybe a way of not reacting to some comments about this that that person might make or whatever. Now, first of all, she chuckled, took some distance from it, saw it in a less threatening way, thought of something that she could do. Now, this might be an imperfect strategy that she could use for dealing with meeting with a family at Christmas, but she now felt some sense of agency. There was something she could do. She was a little less threatened by it, had it in a little bit more perspective, and she was able to meet with her family. And it mightn't have been ideal, but she could manage with that experience, and she did prefer to have the connection with family. Now, there were a lot of complications that happened after that as well in a family, but that did make a difference for her to see. It wasn't just the situation itself, but her response to it that counted. And that wasn't as severely, dare I say, as abusive as some of these other situations. It wasn't quite as extremely as invalidating. She did prefer to have some contact with her family in that way because our families, they add to our sense of identity. They add to our sense of history. And often many of us fortunately do have very positive experiences amongst other experiences with our family. But overall, it's a positive experience being with them. So she was able to get some of the benefits of, of that and enjoy some of that contact, but also appreciate the fact that she felt stronger in herself. She had a way of managing with that. And that's getting closer to the situation that many of us will be in. Many of us might experience some kind of disappointment or frustration or annoyance with family some family members around Christmas time that would be almost universal I would think some level of frustration or disappointment or someone doesn't like something someone said or something they've done or not done through the year this is dare I say the, the normal at times not being so attuned or you know, technically you can call it in empathic failure it seems like not caring so much or not being as thoughtful about the other person now that can happen and basically a lot of that we can we can forgive a fair bit of that or accept a fair bit of that you know look 
families aren't going to be perfect and all the rest of it, but our interest in connecting with each other and recognising, you know, like our, our basic underlying shared history, loving connection in other kind of ways, it's, it's more than enough to lead us to want to be in that situation. And then it does get back to being more, if you like, understanding, accepting, goodwill, a time also forgiveness, and focusing on the positives in our family. And that's for most of us where we would be. So what we've focused on so far is the notion of the more abusive and undermining the experience, the more negatively it affects someone's mental health. If they have had this very significant past abuse, neglect in childhood... If it continues on especially, it's important to set limits with it. Contain it. Either don't have contact if it's very severe with certain family members or keep it brief or make sure you're in a neutral environment where you can get up and leave. For example, you're at a restaurant or something like that rather than at your own home. So you can get up and leave if need be. Contain the time. Other things you can do to manage with it include drawing the support of a partner of how you can deal with that kind of situation, such as have their support beforehand, that if you look to get up and leave early, they'll be very ready for that, or in whatever way, whatever other way they might support you, you can talk about some of those things beforehand. And then I suppose some of the other aspects of things that we can do is even just allowing for it to be a really difficult time of year and, and not thinking that we're going to go into a situation and, you know, quote unquote absolutely nail it or, or have absolutely no difficulties in that situation like it, there might be a little bit that we can put up with but I wonder if it's one of those situations where we're more going for optimalism instead of perfectionism we're looking for things to be as, as good as they can without having to be perfect as well very much so and that's the more general principle too if someone's had a very painful experience or loss or trauma allow for more difficulty around anniversaries allow for more difficulty around birthdays and certainly around Christmas and other times where people would tend to either get together and celebrate but other reminders of that but for most people give it a week or two beyond that often a week beyond that and that's settling or dissipating so I think just like you say allow for it to be a more difficult time that's human that's normal that there'll be painful emotions associated with that and certainly when people have particular difficulties with the experiences that we're talking about if it happens year by year if the person predictably not just feels sad but goes into a depression it really is worth following a course of therapy and looking to process some of those underlying feelings many people find that they gain greatly from that and part of it is the setting limits in the here and now with what ongoing contact there is but certainly a lot of it is further processing some of those emotions and understanding oneself and one's reactions so someone's less getting caught up in the self-criticism self-blame certainly self-harm and any kind of shame or excessive responsibility they're taking on many people can greatly benefit from that even though it might be a painful experience or a reminder for the rest of their lives. For some people it will be that, and accepting that as normal as well I think helps limit its impact. And there's something that came to mind as well as, as you've been describing this too is that I remember having a chat with a friend who actually has closed off contact with his family and, and has got benefit from that and was talking to him about that and he just had a, a line for me which I think is is well, it's a good way of looking at things where he just 
matter of factly, you know, took the emotion out of it and sort of said, oh, you know, this is my family now, referring to the people who are around him. And I think as like even, you know, broadly in society, like this term family gets used a lot more these days. And like you even hear it in the context of, say, sporting teams and this sort of thing or, or close friends, you know, it's, it's like family. And so I wonder if it's almost like if any situation that we can have around Christmas time where we feel that we're with almost like a familial relationship it doesn't necessarily have to be that we're spending time with our extended family as you know maybe is seen to be tradition and all things like this like if there are people out there who who maybe are or feel a little bit like family well they can substitute in in some ways if people have maybe cut off contact with their family as well but suppose the other people who I wonder about that is maybe people who don't have access to obviously their family but also maybe this other idea of family almost this substituted idea of family like not everyone's going to have people to go to on Christmas and and have people to spend the day with so what can people do if maybe they're looking to be alone on Christmas day okay well actually a couple of things there but the first thing that you mentioned some people again not connected to their families also because they live in another country And exactly what you said is what a number of people do. We have some very close family friends who are just wonderful at getting their friends together at Christmas and that's like, in a sense, a big family gathering. But but what they've done is being at some distance or quite some distance from their own family, from their country and family of origin, they've actually recreated some of that experience with not just their own nuclear family, their own immediate family, but their friends around. And I think that what you're saying too, it just shows the importance of the quality of our connections, the quality of our relationships. And this time of year, it's almost like there's this expectation that our closest or deepest connections will be with our immediate family members. Well, there's a degree of truth in that for many people, and that's a wonderful thing that we feel connected with our close family members But by the same token, it's not universal. And also those of us who do have good family connections, we also have close friends and other loved ones. And that's where many people are looking to connect with their uh, closer friends and others at this time of year too. But yes, it just shows that we don't necessarily have to have a close, loving relationship, even with parents, children, siblings. It's nice if we do, but that's not a requirement for people to have positive, healthy relationships and to be largely happy in themselves. Generally, there'll be a level of sadness and some pain. People don't have that connection with close family relationships, but with others, it makes a difference. And then you were getting back to say also, if someone is alone on Christmas Day, well then, most people in that situation will have someone that they can at least um, speak to send some wishes to, say, by phone, something like that. Like People might still have connections with others even if they don't see someone on that particular day. But also it gets back to our most fundamental relationship, in a sense, is our relationship with ourselves. And so a person can look to do something for themselves on that particular day. It might be having a kind of meal they'd like to have or watch a movie that they would like to see or go for a walk somewhere that they would like. And many people experience a level of joy, satisfaction, a level of happiness or it's something that's worthwhile in someone's day. It's something that also makes life worthwhile but adds to an experience of life to be able to do some of those things that they really like. 
So the person might have a personal ritual or something they want to do, but it would seem worth marking out the day in their own way. And as well, it's, it's, you know, it's not necessarily going to be relevant for everyone too, but even just, for example, having a look online at, say, you know, just Googled alone on Christmas in Melbourne, and there's you know, 10 sort of different suggestions that come up, you know, even literally people online just based on someone's username sort of said, oh, look, we've got a spare place at our house if you want to come around. And we've had, you know, even people at our place on Christmas too who uh, who weren't necessarily in our extended family but just didn't have anywhere else to go. So I wonder if it's also the kind of thing where, you know, often people may not necessarily realise that you're alone on Christmas and, you know, not everyone's going to be in this situation, but there might be someone who you can spend that day with, even if it's someone that you haven't met before who might just be in a similar situation and you met on a... a website like meetup or one of these kind of websites so yeah i like that idea of marking the day and you know you can even just go get a a roast chook from woolies these days and then you've got your roast dinner as well so i suppose yeah it's one of those situations where i wonder if you know anything that you can do where you know you at least feel a little bit satisfied within yourself that you've done that is really going to be worthwhile in that situation and potentially even say more worthwhile than some other times of the year where there's not this kind of environment of, you know, Christmas and merriness and all that sort of stuff. Like, it strikes me that, you know, we're really going to get banged for our buck in terms of those little things that we go out of our way to do to make the day and the situation better for us as well. Yes, so actually what we're talking about there is self-compassion. There's anything that people can do with who've had this kind of harsh childhood experience that we're talking about, abuse and neglect, is really develop that self-compassion. At this time of year, self-compassion can include those three elements. Number one element, acknowledge it's difficult. Acknowledge some level of pain or difficulty. Number two, that does relate to common humanity. It might not be very visible. People's pain in this situation might often be private, but sadly there are many other people who share a similar type of pain including those people with the stories I mentioned earlier on. So recognise some of how that painful experience is not your own fault. It partly relates or largely relates to background experiences, makes it understandable. Number three, and a key thing, the third thing, do something to improve the situation, some kind of self-caring, some kind of acknowledgement. And I will mention for some, okay, some people... Their most caring thing that they've thought to do is a bit different from what I suggested earlier. They might look to forget Christmas entirely or some other kind of celebration. There are other religious holidays as well that this applies to as well. We're talking about Christmas because it's a prominent day in, in our culture, but this applies to other circumstances or birthdays or anniversaries. But this time of year, show that self-compassion. If for some people that just means treating the day as any other day, that can be okay as well. But many people I know benefit from having some little ritual of their own. Certainly. And I suppose just to finish for me, Dad, like that, it's a little bit of a cliche in some ways, but that idea of you can choose your friends and not your family, that line really comes to mind here. And, you know, that idea that you mentioned there of, you know, it's not it's not your fault if you're in that situation, but I suppose the other aspect of, you know, you can choose your friends and not your family, well, you can choose your friends in that situation. And so maybe there are certain things that you can reflect on or certain relationships that you can reflect on that you may not even necessarily be with that person for that day, but it just strikes me that if someone's come from a really difficult 
upbringing, a really tough family situation. Well, good on them for any relationship that they've been able to create in terms of these meaningful friendships that oh, I'm sure everyone has to some degree. And so maybe there, there is something positive to at least focus on on that day. Yes, yes. And like to, to me, with um, summing up some final thoughts too, like, like one thing generally is for those of us who've been in more fortunate circumstances, spare a thought for those people who even might be invisible to us. They might be known to us. We might not know of their level of pain at this time of year because many people will keep that as a very private kind of experience. But just recognise there are many people who do suffer further at this time of year. And also, if people do enjoy a different circumstance, that they look forward to getting their family... They look forward to getting together with family for celebrations and their extended family or whatever pattern they have or arrangements they have this time of year. When people enjoy that, then count your blessings because it's not always that way. And counting your blessings can include those minor foibles or frustrations or annoyances or whatever. This is a time of year where there's scope to be a little bit, dare I say, more generous in our forgiveness and acceptance and just it's just come to me then so I, I did just want to mention one final thing but last week we spoke about for example being in a situation where oh, I think there was a, a fellow who was, who was really depressed and someone had said to him look go out and do something or find people who are worse off than you or you feel you know worse off than you and, and do something for them what strikes me as well that you know anything that you can do for anyone on Christmas, the appreciation that you're going to get back will just be you know through the roof. Like we spoke about volunteering on last week's episode. Like almost never more is that idea truer around Christmas that the volunteer is going to get you know as much out of that experience as the person that they're helping. So yeah, it's a uh, oh, it's a, a, a nice time of year in some ways, Dad. But but very much understand that for some people it's. It comes with a, a whole range of difficulties and and it is really tough. So, yeah, very much feeling for anyone if, if they're in that situation. And I hope, you know, in, in whatever way people are able to have a Merry Christmas, even as you say, if that's completely forgetting the idea altogether of Christmas. And I suppose just a, a tiny little story in terms of uh, I've got this group of friends, Dad, who we uh, chat cricket on a like a group chat sort of thing and just a little joke that we all do every year is every Christmas morning we'll say to each other happy boxing day eve for the uh for the cricket test that's on in Melbourne every year so yeah if if you're not necessarily wanting to engage in Christmas this year happy boxing day eve to you Yes, and we've certainly enjoyed a number of boxing days in the past of the cricket, Rowan. And uh, and look, I've very much enjoyed this year of podcasts with you as well. And so just winding up the year too, just wish everyone a Merry Christmas.